Welcome to Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. As always, I'll be your host, Lee Greenwood, and I'd like to say welcome to this episode. Well, this week, um, I can't believe it. This is uh, the 100th episode, so I've been told. We have had more releases than that. Uh, we did a few midweek ones, but the Tuesday release, we have actually done 100 episodes of Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. So I'd just like to take this opportunity to say thanks for everybody for listening in and making this a thing and sharing information and knowledge and uh, and letting us know what you think and let us know what um, what you like and what you don't like. Um, I hope that this uh, platform has informed a lot of people about safer ways to work, how we can do things, what we can do. So yeah, it's just a bit of a shout out to say thanks a lot. Moving forward, uh, what am I planning? What are we, uh, we're in 2022. The world's still in a bit of a crazy place. I started this back um, just before um, the pandemic sort of hit us globally. I was recording um, at the end of 2019 and then went out live in uh, March of uh, 2020. And it's been a bit of a crazy journey for everybody involved. Um, It's given me uh, something to focus on, which has been nice. Being down in Australia, we've been pretty lucky with... uh, with how it's affected us um we're going through a bit of a hard time at the moment numbers are going up and all of that but we're opening up to various parts of the world so we'll just run through see how that's going i'll just carry on uh, putting episodes out while you guys are listening i'll still be doing uh, doing this getting episodes out to you each week and i'm looking through 2022 to uh, get some more people back in have some uh, have some chats drag out some of the old boys maybe some of the new boys uh New girls, old girls. Um, there's a few people that I've got on my list who uh, who I'm keen to uh, to get in to have a chat with, find out where they've been, what they've done. Also, uh, going to be looking at running into the uh, the ICOP, uh, International Code of Practice for my router, having a look at some various bits in there, having a look at the tax training assessment certification scheme, breaking that down a little bit, um, chatting about how it's interpreted. Uh, uh, what are the main parts in there so there are a couple of uh, things that we'll be doing moving forward as always if uh, if there's anything you'd like us to chat about definitely let us know if there's new products coming out I'll definitely be doing a bit of a chat on those there's some uh, pretty cool stuff coming out in 2022 so when I get my hands on that um, I'll definitely uh, share my thoughts on it this week uh, we're going to Go back in time a little bit. In fact, I've got a question for you. Why do we use two ropes? When did we start using two ropes? And what was the reason for using two ropes? Well, I think that was three questions. But hopefully I'll be able to answer those for you. Um, Haven't got any of this documented. This is all from chats I've had with a lot of the old boys who started doing rope access back in the early 80s, what they were doing then, and then sort of how it evolved into the system that we uh, use today. So before we answer that question, I think we're going to have to go back before that. So um, rope access, as we sort of know it, um, kicking around in the early 80s in various parts of Europe that I know of. I obviously, being originally from the UK, know a lot of guys up in Scotland and Northern England and all over the UK. And that's sort of where it was um, starting to happen. There were, um, it was a bit of a divide from what I can uh, work out. There was uh, a lot of climbers up in Scotland 
climbers, mountaineers, that type of thing, who were getting into rope access, uh, helping to fund their climbing trips. And so in the summer, they may do some work and then go mountaineering in the winter or vice versa, doing uh, some winter work and then uh, going rock climbing nice places in the summer. But they um, they got into uh, what we now know as rope access, or they were asked if they could access various places. A lot of it was starting on cliff faces and things like that. But also at the same sort of time, down around Sheffield and that sort of area, there were um, there was other people getting into uh, the ropes as well, but they were coming from more of a caving background. So obviously in caving, ropes are used slightly different. You know, you descend down the ropes or you're using ladders and things, but descending down the ropes and climbing up them. So the caving sort of side was bringing sort of more skills to the access system than the rock climbing, because with rock climbing, you hang on with your fingertips and when you can't hang on anymore, you then rely on the rope and you fall off and that type of thing. So these two sort of different groups are obviously using different types of gear. Um, With the rock climbers, they were using sort of dynamic ropes and a few of them did start out using just their climbing rope because that's all they had. Some of them may have had some sort of low stretch static type rope for accessing uh, if they were going to be putting up any roots and things like that. So they would maybe using that type of stuff. And then you got the cavers who were using um, just their single uh, low stretch static rope for accessing into the caves. So they were just taking these techniques and bringing them over to their everyday life. They were used to hanging around on one rope and that's what they were doing. So a lot of them working in geotechnical stabilization things like that so they're on the cliff faces which was a an environment that they knew well because they'd spent a lot of time in those sort of rocky environments in the middle of nowhere and they were sailing down quite happily working on the ropes and then all of a sudden it expanded a little bit and people started working in and around town so some of the nice parts of town working on uh, blocks of apartments blocks of flats as they're called in the uk and they were working on those and this is one of the stories i was told but we'll run through a few of them and then uh, the uh, local council saw this as a, uh, a viable way of getting work done on some of their uh, council flats. And so uh, these guys, whether it was in Northern England or up in Scotland, they uh, winding up in the not-so-nice parts of town and having to work on the same thing. And that's when a few of them sort of stopped and went, hold on, um, this isn't really a nice part of town. And they weren't concerned about their anchors because they were using two anchors, so they had redundancy. That was pretty sort of standard in uh, in climbing and caving, where you could you'd get uh, a backup on there. So they'd have some sort of wire hang, and they weren't worried that much about their ropes going over the edge. They were using you know carpets or rope protectors and things like that to protect their ropes going over the edge. What they were concerned about was in this not so desirable part of town, if somebody decides to come out of the window with a knife because they're off their chops on whatever that they may cut their rope. So they thought, oh, I better get a second rope just in case. And uh, being uh, poor climbers or cavers or whatever, uh, a lot of them sort of maybe jumped between both, but they the only other rope that they had was a dynamic rope. And they thought, well, that could be quite good because if I, if I do fall, the dynamic capabilities that I rely on when I'm climbing that um, absorb a lot of the shock will be really good for me on that rope. So they, uh, they had a second rope. How they attached to that, uh, that could be a whole podcast in its own, but you know, people were using prusset uh, knots. Um, some people were using basics, uh, so like a tooth descender or a hand descender, whatever they had in their bag to attach a second point. 
onto there. Even some people had uh, a device called the shunt, and so they started using that. Um, and with the shunt, I've discussed that before, they may have put two ropes into it instead of the one, but won't worry about that for now. But just They've got some sort of connection on there. And then they needed to attach this device to their harness, and so whether it was cutting up an old piece of climbing rope, they made a cow's tail. Still can't find out why it's called a cow's tail. Uh, if anybody out there does know, uh, please reach out and let me know because I'd love to hear the story about that one. Or as it used to be called in the caving world, uh, a chicken link. So what used to happen there because they were ascending and descending on a single line and they had their chest ascender and then their hand ascender. But there was no connection from their hand ascender to their harness. But it seemed to be a bit of an issue, especially with muddy ropes and the way they were climbing through these places, that the chest ascender had a tendency back in the early days to come off the rope. And so if you were a bit of a chicken, if you were a bit scared, um, you would attach your hand ascender by a piece of rope to your harness. So if your chest ascender came off, you were still attached. But yeah, So that's, uh, that's a story, bit of a digress there, but um, that's a bit of a story about uh, how we ended up with a, uh, an attachment to our hand ascender, obviously these days because we don't want to drop our tools, so you want to have them attached to something, and that's the easiest way to do it. But these guys were uh, all working around uh, the scary parts of town now, and they had their two connections. And I know that there was uh, quite a few people uh, kicking around and doing various sort of at-home testing to see what happened. I know Mark Wright up in uh, Sheffield was uh, involved in some of this stuff, and there was a bridge that they used to use to do some testing. And so they... Um, I went down to this bridge and underneath it there was a uh, there was a river and they could fill up containers to make it certain weights and then they could cut ropes and see what happened. So they set up a pretty standard setup. The bridge wasn't that high and then they've cut the main line and the barrel of water has fallen onto the dynamic backup line. Well, I say it fell onto the backup line um, because there was so much stretch in the rope where it was going up to the anchors. Uh, the whole thing just hit the ground and exploded. So they went, oh, maybe we shouldn't use a uh, dynamic um, rope as our backup rope. And around this time, there was some uh, stuff going on with companies talking to each other. Arata may have just sort of started um, sending things out and advising people not to use a dynamic rope or putting two ropes into the shunt as well. Um, and so they went and used a low stretch rope. They did the same test, but instead of having the dynamic capabilities in their actual rope, even though there are some, there is some stretch in their low stretch rope, uh, they had a cow's tail. So they had the dynamic capabilities, and it seemed to stand up to that a lot better. So now we're on uh, we're on two ropes, both of them low stretch, uh, with some sort of connection from our harness over to whatever backup device we had. Um, so that's uh, one of the reasons, uh, not wanting some lunatic to reach out their window and cut your second rope. Wasn't even worried about edges and things like that. One of the other ones that I've heard is, and this was up in and around Aberdeen, the guys working offshore. Obviously, there was various companies um, you know, trying to convince uh, the big players to use them. And it was seen by uh, some salespeople as a way of um, saying that we are safer. So they started using two ropes because, oh, we're safer because we have a backup system as well. So they could sell that to the client if they were doing various works. They could say, well, we have a redundant system rather than just a single rope system. 
So yeah, they were, I'm not sure if that was what you were expecting, uh, why we use two ropes when I chat to most people and ask them why do we use two ropes and they're like, oh, you know, in case an anchor fails, in case carabiners break, if their rope's cut on the sharp edges. And these are all good answers, but that's not originally sort of where it came from. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd share this one with you. Hope, uh, hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. You'll get the updates. We go live every Tuesday, 9am, down in Sydney, Australia. And um, tell your friends. They may be interested to wonder why they have to use two ropes and where the whole two-point thing came from. And as always, thanks for listening through till the end. Always great to uh, get some feedback. If any of the old boys out there have got any stories about using dynamic rope as a backup line or when they were working on single lines and things like that back in the day, please reach out to me. Um, find me on Facebook, Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. Uh, jump on the website, ratac.net. Always great to chat to people. But anyway, for now, stay safe. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.